Hey everybody, I'm Mike McDonald. My buddy Jesse Stratton loves some of the cheesiest movies ever made. He spent years telling me about them all, so now I'm finally watching these movies for the very first time. This is our podcast where we break those movies down together. This is the Celluloid Dumpster Fire. Hey everybody, welcome back. You don't know this, but we took a break uh, thanks to the magic of digital audio recording. It seemed like nothing at all happened for you, but we took a break during which time, Jesse, I guess you played every pinball machine. Yeah, I tried to at least. (laughs) And I grew a 44 pound pumpkin. Damn. It was massive. Never had any luck with pumpkins before. We tried it again this year. And got one so big that I almost didn't get it to the house. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Today we are talking about the 1988 sci-fi horror film with conspiracy theory overtones, The Blob. This is a remake of the 1958 original starring Steve McQueen and was filmed in Abbeville, Louisiana. Movie was made on a budget of $10 million. It made $8.2 million at the box office. It's a little on the long side at 95 minutes, but the pacing actually works really well. There, there are slow spots in it, but you don't really notice them because it actually doesn't spell it all out for you and gives you an opportunity to, to do some thinking on your own to figure out what's going on. And, and I like that. The director actually blames the failure of this movie on the timing of its release. It was released in the end of the summer of 1988 after Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Big with Tom Hanks, Die Hard, Cocktail, Coming to America, Young Guns, and A Fish Called Wanda. (laughs) So if you have to follow all of those iconic movies... Yeah, it makes sense that a a sci-fi horror uh, kind of on the low side of the budget spectrum might not do so well. Yeah, it was like that blockbuster kind of like era where like, you know, every week you had like two or three movies that were like instant classics and shit. Exactly. How do you follow Tom Hanks, Bruce Willis, Tom Cruise, Eddie Murphy, and John Cleese? (laughs) It was released on DVD in 2001, and then it was re-released as part of a box set called the four-movie Horror Unleashed Collection, which included Fright Night, Christine, and The Seventh Sign. That would be a collection to get right there. Yeah, Yeah, I'd get that one. Movie was produced by Jack Harris, who also produced the 1958 version. He's best known for making crappy sci-fi, including Schlock. Dark Star and Star Slammer, a sci fi women's prison exploitation film. Uh, I've seen it. <laughs> I'm not surprised. Yeah. <laughs> I, I watched Fred Olin Ray movies, so it's like, eh. Yeah, it's like yeah, right it's, it, yeah, it's in that same vein. Directed by Chuck Russell, best known as a director and producer on The Scorpion King. The Mask, starring Jim Carrey, A Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors, and Eraser. Was that the one with Arnold Schwarzenegger? Yeah, it was. It was like, yeah, that was like the end of like his big action push. Like then he started being like 
not so actiony after that. Yeah. But Dream Warriors, man, hey, that's a classic. Eraser starred Arnold Schwarzenegger, Vanessa Williams, James Kahn, James Coburn, and Robert Robert Pastorelli. You've been erased. <laughs> that was his tagline. Nice. <laughs> Nothing beats dead on the nose, right? <laughs> right. Written by Chuck Russell and Frank Darabont. Frank Darabont has writing, directing, and producer credits on The Green Mile, Shawshank Redemption, The Walking Dead, The Fly 2, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, and The Majestic. Yeah, I've seen a lot of his shit. These two guys previously worked together on Hell Night and A Nightmare on Elm Street 3 before working on this. Special effects by Tony Gardner. The special effects on this movie are top-notch. Oh, yeah. Tony Gardner uh, uh, that's has... That's what sold me. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Tony Gardner has makeup credits on Hocus Pocus, Bad Grandpa, and Zombieland Double Tap. He also worked on Starman, the music video for Michael Jackson's Thriller, Harry and the Hendersons, The Lost Boys, Army of Darkness, Adam's Family Values, There's Something About Mary, and Scary Movie 2. Initially, he was just supposed to provide a few supplemental visual effects, but he ended up managing a crew of 33 special effects artists on this movie. Yeah, it's like, hey, just come, in, come here and make some sludge. And then it's like, ended up like just taking over the entire thing. Yeah. Yeah. We want you to do this thing real quick. It's just a few, few scenes. All right. Hey, while you're here, could you also <laughs> like run the whole damn show? <laughs> that one is live just bam here goes my weekend and one of the people that he was managing as part of the special effects team was chet czar who is known for doing special effects in the rock men in black 2 the fantastic four and several music videos for tool nice along with bill sturgeon who did special effects for Ghostbusters, Killer Clowns from Outer Space, Army of Darkness, Men in Black, Planet of the Apes, The Ring, and Hellboy. Nice. So we um, got all of the people in this. Yeah, this, uh, this this movie, I don't think, would even be remembered today if it wasn't for the special effects in it. Right. Like, uh, there's just so many cool scenes in it. And it's like some stuff, it's not even like the slime and stuff. It's just like, them like uh, compositing shots and like making like this town seem real, even though I mean, and they is like they did like real film sh uh, on location and shit. But the, like, there's this one scene where like a uh, there's an alleyway or something, and then there's a street, and like the slime comes down the alley. They had to like right. totally do that in like post production and shit. There's like shots in here are crazy, but uh, yes, as a sidebar. Some of the physical effects are amazing, like the bits. Um, we'll get to this, but um, there are scenes where people are you know, quite literally melting. And yeah. we've seen that before where you can clearly see this is a guy with his torso stuck up through a hole in the table and some stuff splattered on a sheet that's covering him. But no, these people are melting and it's so believable and it's amazing. Yeah. Cinematographer Mark Irwin. This guy worked on Scanners, Ray Bradbury Theater, RoboCop 2, Fright Night Part 2, Dumb and Dumber, Kingpin, and Scream. And lately he's been working as a director of photography 
on the Airbud spin-off series Super Pups. <laughs> uh, I don't know about that, but I know this guy, yeah, he did a lot of good work and shit. Uh yes. Especially just this movie alone is like just oh man. It, it right. looks so great. Yes, visually, if if you if you just take the story out completely, visually, this story is amazing. This movie is amazing. Yeah. Movie stars Kevin Dillon as Brian Flagg. He appeared in Delta Force, Remote Control, NYPD Blue, 24, Entourage, and Blue Bloods. Basically, every cop drama he can find. Yeah. Also have Shawnee Smith as Meg Penny. She appeared in The Stand, Arsenio, and just about every single film in the Saw franchise. Yeah. Uh, she kind of like dipped out and then like the Saw franchise kind of like brought her career back. Right. But yeah, I just remember as that crazy chick from the stand. Yes. And Jeffrey DeMint as Sheriff Herb Geller. He's best known for The Hitcher, The Shawshank Redemption, The Mist, Law and Order. And he played Dale on The Walking Dead. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, was it Durban? Like he always like gets these groups of people and he's always been one of them right yeah there's all of these people have worked with this writer and director previously yeah uh, candy clark is fran hewitt she appeared in american graffiti the man who fell to earth with david bowie blue thunder and zodiac she also had appearances in twin peaks saint elsewhere and matlock art lafleur as the pharmacist mr penny this is kind of the comic relief of the movie, right? Here. Yeah, it's very memorable scene. I love this guy and anything he's in. Like, uh, <laughs> I don't know, he just—he looks like American Every Dad, you know. Yes, he's uh, it kind of looks like a, like a character from like American Dad, the cartoon series. Like he's got this broad chin, or he like looks like a dad from uh, those CGI movies. You know, it's like. Pixar yeah. movies and stuff. He's just like this brute force of a dude. Yeah, just anytime you need a, a dad who is not going to approve of some boy his daughter brought home, this is the guy. Yeah, it's like, I'm not having any of the shenanigans. <laughs> but yeah, he's, he's always like a dad or a cop or something in, in the movies. I think I remember him like, you know, being a, like a cop in the 40s or something. He's appeared in The Sandlot and Field of Dreams, and he also had bit parts on Benson, Baywatch, Northern Exposure, Matlock, ER, Night Stalker, and Key and Peel. Yeah, he's all over the place. Finally, we've got Del Close as Reverend Meeker, best known for Ferris Bueller's Day Off, The Untouchables, and Upright Citizens Brigade. Movie starts with an image of Earth from space. There's a flyover shot through the clouds to a small town where we see a deserted downtown with signs preparing for ski season. And then this shot made no freaking sense. There's a shot of a cemetery, and in the cemetery is a football stadium where the high school team is playing a game. Yeah, that's kind of weird. <laughs> the entire town appears to have gathered to watch the high school football game. We get the obligatory football player cheerleader interactions. There's always a football player that a cheerleader is making eyes at. In this case, it's Meg who is making eyes at Paul 
he wants to ask her out and he's going to except he's waiting for just the right moment his buddy scott is kind of egging him on but it turns out the right moment he's waiting for is a moment when she's not dating somebody else because apparently <laughs> she is <laughs> The football game continues and Paul gets tackled hard through by several guys uh, through a folding table. Uh, Meg, the cheerleader, comes over to see if he's okay. And that's the right moment, apparently, because he asks her out while he's laying on the ground delirious. And, of course, it works because movie. Because movie, yeah. Next, we see the troubled teen delinquent, Brian Flagg. He's wearing a leather jacket. And something kind of like the Seinfeld poofy shirt. Yeah. <laughs> He's smoking a cigarette and drinking a beer, standing on a broken bridge. He finishes his beer and he get, gets on his motorcycle. It turns out he's going to try to jump this broken bridge. But as he gets close, the engine on his motorcycle stalls out and he crashes off the bridge. And then we see a hobo stand up out of the bushes and start clapping for him. <laughs> he grabs what's left of Brian's beer and takes off. In town, the sheriff is at the diner having lunch. Economic times are bad for this town right now, but ski season is coming and that's going to bring tourists to town. And apparently that is the entire basis of this town's economy is ski season. <laughs> the sheriff Asked Fran, the waitress, if she wants to go out to see a band with him, but she's stuck there at the diner. And that's when everybody from the football game starts heading for the diner. Well, the sheriff gives Fran his card with his phone number on it and says, you need anything, you just call me. And he starts to leave and notices that she has written on the bottom of his check that uh, she gets off work at 11. Aw, out in the street, Brian Flagg sees the sheriff leaving the diner, and he decides he needs to get out of sight. So he ducks around behind a building and hides in a doorway. That's when the sheriff pulls up and congratulates Brian. The sheriff knew he was there. He's not hiding very well. He congratulates Brian on turning 18. Apparently, Brian has been in trouble with the law before and has been sent to juvenile detention a couple times. but. He's about to turn 18, and that means if he gets in trouble with the law, he gets to go to grown-up jail. After the sheriff leaves, Brian heads over to a garage. He wants to borrow Moss's ratchet to fix his motorcycle. Moss is working on a big snowmaker truck, getting ready for, for snow season. He's actually using it to chill beers. <laughs> nice. Uh, Moss very reluctantly agrees to let Brian borrow his ratchet set. Says there's 12 sockets in there, and when he brings it back, they better all be there. <laughs> I know which 12 they are, too. That night, we see the old homeless guy. He is crushing aluminum cans at his campsite, and he sees this red light shooting through the sky. Turns out to be a giant fireball, and it crashes to earth not far from where his campsite is. Meanwhile, Paul and Scott are at the pharmacy. Scott asks the pharmacist for a pack of Trojans and a Banaka spray. He uh, is planning to get lucky on his date tonight. He's trying on some cheap sunglasses when Reverend Meeker walks up behind him to congratulate him on the football game. That's when the pharmacist comes back and asks him, you want ribbed or regular? <laughs> uh, I guess 
ribbed, but they're not for me. They're for my friend. He's trying to get lucky with some naive girl, and they end up leaving. Back in the woods, the hobo has found the meteorite that crashed near his campsite. The space rock is kind of broken open, and it's got this bubbly goo in it. So he does the only reasonable thing there is to do. He decides to poke it with a stick. I mean, that's what I would do. I don't know, man. I've seen enough of these movies. That it's like, that'd be like the third or fourth thing I do. <laughs> you know? Like I want to do it, but like you know, I'm, there, there's like you know precautionary things to do. But yeah, yeah. He, he pokes it. You gotta get your protective trash bag on or something. A flamethrower, some kind of you know backup. <laughs> well, he goes decides to poke it with a stick, and a great big wad of this pulsing goo jumps up onto his stick. And you know, it's somebody down under there that's just kind of flinging it up onto the stick, but it just jumps onto the stick. As he examines it, the goo very quickly moves up the stick and onto his hand, and the hobo starts screaming. Next, there are two young boys being really gross with jello. I mean, we're watching a movie called The Blob, so of course there's going to be a jello scene in it. They are planning to go to a horror movie called Garden Tool Massacre, but their mother does not approve. Kevin's mother does not like the idea of him going to this movie. Kevin is actually Meg's brother, and she is looking for her sweater, but of course it shrunk in the wash because this is like a 50s sitcom or something. Yeah, it's like the Patty Doo show or something. (laughs) Meanwhile, Paul shows up at the door, and her brother answers the door and is giving him a hard time. That's when Meg's mother Let's Paul in as Kevin and his friend are leaving. Kevin tells his mom that he's just going over to his friend's house, but we all know they're going to the movies. Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> Meg comes down and, and she wants she's ready to go. But first, she wants Paul to meet her dad and she takes him into the living room to introduce him to her dad, who just happens to be the pharmacist and he looks at paul and the only thing he can say is ribbed (laughs) meanwhile in the woods flag is working on or brian is working on his motorcycle when he hears something he decides it's nothing but he goes back to work on his motorcycle that's when the hobo jumps out screaming he's got that big wad of goo on the end of his hand And he tries to chop his hand off with a hatchet and then runs off into the woods. Meanwhile, on their date, Paul appears to have been able to clear up the confusion about the condoms with Meg's dad. That's when the hobo runs out into the street in front of him, followed by Flag, and Paul hits the hobo. Well, they load him into the back seat of the car and tell Flag that he's going with them. And the old man is muttering something about it fell from the sky. It's all very cliche at this point in the movie. Oh, yeah. Well, it's it's a remake of a 50s movie. And the 50s was just like the decade of cliche. I mean, even though like some of the stuff they did, they invented, most of it was just like all kind of like, you know, right. cliche. But like, yeah, this one is like paint by numbers at this point. Right. Well, they get the old man to the hospital, and the nurse is not too interested in helping him if he doesn't have insurance. And that's when an orderly appears and takes the old man to a room. 
Brian decides he's leaving after giving the old man some words of encouragement. Paul is filling out hospital paperwork while Meg flips through a magazine. Paul decides to get up and get him a soda from the vending machine when he thinks he sees something moving under the blanket that is covering the old hobo. He goes in the room to investigate, and the hobo's head turns to Paul, but his neck is real swollen and lumpy, and his eyes have gone completely white. Paul freaks out and runs to get the doctor, and the doc pulls back the blanket to reveal the entire lower half of the hobo's body has dissolved into goo. And it's a real simple effect. They use methyl cellulose in silk blankets or silk sheets to make this goo. And it, it works. It's great. Yeah. Paul calls the sheriff. And as he's doing this, we get to see a giant blob of goo climbing up the wall behind him and onto the ceiling. As he talks to the sheriff, some goo starts to drip down onto the desk and it burns a hole in the desk smoking. When Paul notices this, he looks up at the ceiling just as the blob drops down on him and he starts screaming. Meg runs to check on Paul and finds him covered with this pink goo screaming. She grabs his arm trying to pull him out of it, but apparently this goo is acid and it's dissolving his body, so his arm just rips right off in her hands. She passes out in the corner when that happens. I don't blame her. I would have passed out, too. <laughs> that, uh, that picture with, like, the goose coming over the guy and stuff, that's, like, I think in the most, like, uh, releases now, that's, like, the cover of it. Right. But, uh, yeah, it is it's totally gross and, like, just nasty. It's, like, it, it's not, like, thick blob, like, from the 50s version. It's, like, see-through snot, Bob. It's yes. It's, like, at this... It's like mucus and shit, you know? It's like just gross. Exactly. And yeah, it's uh it's pretty gross. Yeah, it's it's bad. It's really bad. And then as it starts dissolving people, it gets more and more pink. Well, Meg's parents and the sheriff have arrived at the hospital. They don't believe anything that she's told them because, well, you're just a silly girl and you're hysterical. Come on, we know better. And the sheriff sends something in a body bag to Sacramento for an autopsy. And it's kind of like he's trying to sound like Colonel Potter from MASH <laughs> or, or, or some, you know, some Old West sheriff. I want these results pronto. Let's vamoose on out of here. <laughs> <laughs> He tells uh, his deputy that Paul was a good kid and he wants whoever did this. Um, so he can't decide if he's a rural cop or a New York detective. The deputy is played by Paul McCrane, who has just he's been in just about every cop show in existence, including Hill Street Blues, Wise Guy, Cop Rock, Law and Order and Under Suspicion. He also had recurring roles in ER, Chicago, Hope. 24 and all rise not to mention he's the guy that and it's funny because like this movie's all about people getting like melted down but he's the guy in robocop that gets hit with toxic waste yeah and then they explode with the car yes that guy it's the melty man from robocop that's him the deputy says well they already got the guy who killed paul and that's when a cop car pulls up with brian flag in the back seat Scott and Vicky are parked in the woods making out. Scott goes to make Vicky another drink because apparently he has a full bar in the trunk of his car. 
basketball hoop. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really nicely done. It's like before Pimp Your Ride, so it's like he had a little ingenuity, and you know, it looks nice. It doesn't look trashy at all. No, not at all. <laughs> it's crazy. He's got a full bar back there, lights. He's got a little, a little mini basketball hoop. It, some it, red it shag carpeting. Yeah, he's got a fresh fruit bowl for the lady. There you go. Uh, a hand mixer. Well, Vicky passes out in the back, in the front seat, because apparently Scott has been feeding her straight liquor since the time he picked her up. But something is creeping through the grass towards the car and in through the open driver's door. When Scott returns with her drink, Vicky is out cold and looking away from him. So he goes super creep and decides to unbutton her shirt once he's certain she's asleep. And when he reaches into her shirt to feel her up, the goo shoots out, trapping his arm. Vicky's face turns toward him at that point and just implodes on itself. And the blob eats both of them. That's the gross. girl didn't deserve it. The guy totally did. Yeah. Back home, Meg can't sleep after watching Paul get killed. Her parents are in the kitchen blaming Brian Flagg for all of this. Meg's mom brings her a sleeping pill and she fakes taking the sleeping pill. Then her mom encourages her, just, just forget about the whole thing. I know it was a traumatic in incident. This guy that you really like, you watched him die horribly, but nah, just forget about it and move on. That was standard therapy for post-traumatic stress in the 80s. <laughs> just, just forget about it. Snap out of it. And we're still dealing with the repercussions of that. <laughs> well, after her mother leaves, Meg climbs out the bedroom window and the pink blob oozes into a storm drain in town. At the sheriff's office, the deputy is questioning Brian Flagg. His mother is nowhere to be found. Apparently, she has her own addiction problems. And the deputy hard ass is getting in Brian's face, so Brian just licks his chin. Uh, uh, pro move. But the sheriff tells the deputy that they need to let Brian go because it's pretty obvious he didn't kill anybody. So Brian leaves the sheriff's and heads to the diner to get something to eat. Just as Meg pulls up in her little 72 VW Beetle, she needs to talk to Brian it seems that she had stolen her dad's credit card so that she could bail him out. Yeah. Over at the diner, they're closed, but Fran's going to get Brian a sandwich anyway. Meg followed Brian in and tells him she needs his help, which causes Brian to ask if she's high, because why would the cheerleader want anything to do with the delinquent? Meg starts to storm out of the diner when Brian doesn't believe her, but Brian apologizes and convinces her to stay. Meanwhile, the deputy is searching through the woods for whoever killed Paul. Yeah, he's got a search team of six volunteers, and they're combing the woods trying to find whoever might have killed Paul and the hobo. The sheriff, in the meantime, is going to go to the diner and check on Fran because it's about 11 o'clock. It's about the time that she told him to come pick her up. She's at the diner bringing Brian and Meg some pie. Meanwhile, in the kitchen, the sink drain is backed up, and she tries to open it with a plunger. The cook offers to do it for her, 
And as he plunges the drain, we get probably one of the best scenes of the movie. Yeah. Because this is iconic. He reaches down into the drain and to see if he can get whatever's stuck in there. And he pulls out some goo. And that's when the blob shoots out of the drain, grabs him by the face, and pulls him headfirst down the drain. <laughs> Once the cook is down the drain, the blob shoots out of the drain up onto the ceiling. And it's like, it's just shot in reverse. It's simple. Right. It's like, it's just, there's crap on his face. It falls. And then he does the handstand into the sink. But they they nailed it. Yes. when he, I mean, this it's not like you're supposed to imagine his head going down the drain. You actually get to see his head go see. down that drain. It was, it was yeah. awesome. O'Brien well, and Meg run to the freezer to hide. The blob tries to come in under the door, but the cold floor causes it to retreat. They couldn't do this in an actual freezer, so they painted everything with this crusty white look like dried milk to make it look like it had frost on it. And the door is solid metal on the outside, but looks like wood planks on the inside. That was weird. Mm. Fran escapes out of a window into the alley where she lands in some trash cans. She runs to the payphone to try to call the sheriff. Meanwhile, in the freezer, Brian gives Meg his jacket to stay warm. Fran finally gets the payphone to work, but the blob is covering the phone booth. It's kind of great because it's just this translucent pink ooze crawling up the side of the phone booth. She finally gets the sheriff's secretary on the phone, but she's told that Herb went to the diner, and that's when she sees what's left of Herb's face pressed up against the phone booth through the goo. Yeah, that, that scene is great. The whole phone booth thing. Uh, and then, yeah, and just to drive it home, they'd like put the his, his badge should be like lower. But right. it, I don't know the way it was crumpled them up and like disintegrated them. It just it smushed right up there up against his face, and he's just got this look on his face, like oh my god, is this? Yes, it is classic. Yeah, is the one side of his face is starting to melt. They they include the badge in the shot, so there's no mistaking this is the sheriff. And about that time, the the blob just explodes into the phone booth engulfing Fran. So now Fran's dead, too. Inside the freezer, Brian and Meg decide to make their escape. As they come out of the freezer, the lights are all off in the diner and the place is just trashed. Every window in the place is broken out. They're going to get out of there since everybody else seems to be gone. Meanwhile, Reverend Meeker is walking alone on the dark street when he hears something strange. He sees the blob coming out of the alley and he heads toward the diner to see if anybody needs any help. He, he finds a cat, but the cat runs away. He gets to the freezer and there are frozen bits of the blob on the floor. So he picks them up and he seals them up in a little candy jar, kind of like a souvenir. Mm. Meg and Brian arrive at the sheriff's office. The phone is ringing off the hook, and the secretary can't find the sheriff or the deputy. She tells them that the deputy was on his way to Elkins Grove, and that's where Brian found the old hobo. So Brian and Meg leave to go investigate what's going on out there at Elkins Grove. They find the deputy's car, but no deputy. They're gonna, so they're gonna follow him into the woods, but the dark woods. Uh. 
Brian mutters that he never thought he'd go out of his way to find a cop. So they're walking through the woods and they see strange lights. And the wind starts blowing. And it turns out the lights are actually a helicopter. And all of a sudden they are surrounded by armed men in hazmat suits. The leader of this group, Dr. Meadows, played by Joe Seneca. I love that guy. He starred alongside Ralph Macchio in Crossroads. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, the old guy. Yeah. Well, Dr. Meadows tells them that they are here to help. And as they're marched through the woods, members of Dr. Meadows' team are questioning Brian and Meg about medical symptoms. This is a biological containment team, and they are here because of a crashed meteorite. And he tells them a story about how a meteorite brought alien bacteria to Earth, and that's what actually killed the dinosaurs, and they're here to make sure the same thing doesn't happen in this tiny little town in California. Well, there's another couple out in the woods that night, and they are making out by a campfire as somebody nearby is trimming hedges in the middle of the night in the woods. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds like a Mad Libs, like fill in the blanks. You end up with that. (laughs) It's a guy in a hockey mask. Turns out this is the movie that Kevin and his friends wanted to see. This is Garden Tool Massacre. Hell yeah. And there is a jerk in the audience spoiling every upcoming scare. Yeah, he's like uh, like a trucker guy or something with his date. And he's like sitting behind the kids. And Yeah. uh, yeah, I've been both these people. I've been the old guy and I've been the kids, so... I can't really fault who's wrong, but yeah, <laughs> these situations definitely do suck. Yeah, he's seen this movie a dozen times, and he's telling her his date exactly what's going to happen, just spoiling every scare in the movie. And it's kind of pissing the kids off. Meanwhile, in the projection booth, a very bored projectionist is playing with a yo-yo that has a whistle in it. I've never had one of those. I like yo-yos, but I've never had one with a whistle in it. I don't think I'd want one either. That would annoy even me. he notices that the air conditioner has stopped working he's told there's nothing wrong with the ac so he decides to look into the duct and sees the blob in the ductwork. that's when the manager comes out to check on on the guy and and figure out what's going on with the air conditioning up there he finds hobbs the projectionist Stuck to the ceiling in a big pink blob and big tentacles reach down and grab the manager. But his screams are drowned out by the screams of the audience watching the slasher movie. Yes, that's cool. Uh, Like because they work the yo-yo, you know, into it. Right. uh, The guy that plays the the projectionist, he's he's got this very distinct look. So when you go, when it switches to like the, the pink goo puppet on the ceiling. It, yeah. it really looks like him, you know. It's, it's totally not him, you know. But yeah, yeah, I thought it's that was a very, cool. it's a very long-faced man. And so when they put a long-faced, uh, screaming face up there in the blob, there's there's really a a very easy association there. Yeah, and the yo-yo just kind, I kind of laughed my ass off the yo-yo. Bit. Yeah, in the woods, Meg and Brian are loaded into a van to go back to town. The entire town is under quarantine. Brian tries to leave since they're obviously not prisoners, but it quickly becomes clear that they're prisoners. Pretty much, yeah. You're not our prisoners, but you have to go with us or we'll shoot you. 
That just sounds like prisoners with extra steps, man. Exactly. On the ride back to town, Brian tries to break the lock on the back door so they can escape because, well, he has a problem with authority. He gets the door open, but Meg is a rule follower, so she won't go with him. Um, so he leaves her in the van and jumps out, and because she's a rule follower, she closes the door behind him. In town, the containment team is rounding up everybody in town and herding them into the courthouse. Meg finds her parents, and they ask about Kevin. He must have snuck off to the movie. So Meg's dad pulls the I'm a taxpayer card to get the answers he wants from one of the soldiers, and as he does... Meg sneaks off to find Kevin because obviously I'm a taxpayer and I pay your salary never works. <laughs> yeah, you might pay, you might contribute to my salary, but I do not answer to you. <laughs> Kevin's at the theater frustrated with the doofus who won't stop spoiling the scenes. He turns around to say something to him just in time to see him get snatched up out of his seat by the block. <laughs> he just. <laughs> Tentacles come down and he shoots straight up into the air. Now, in the 58 version, when the blob was coming out of the projection booth in the theater, it was super duper slow motion and it still got people. This blob's got some speed to it. Yeah. It's like, uh, I don't know, it kind of reminds me of parts of uh, John Carpenter's The Thing, you know? Yeah. With the tentacles and stuff. But uh, yeah, it's just way grosser and. Like big snot bubble, you know, it's just yeah, it's nasty. About that time, the film breaks and people notice the blob pouring out of the projection booth and they panic. Everybody starts running for the doors and strobe lights start flashing. I guess that's the broken movie projector. Meg finds a girl lying on the floor and when he, she rolls the girl over, she sees that half her head is melted and stuck to the floor. And I love this effect. Yeah, do it again with a soldier out in the street, and it's it's fantastic every single time. It looks like bubble gum stuck to the bottom of somebody's shoe. Yeah, she finds Kevin trying to get out of a door, but the blob is speeding towards them over the theater seats. They run out a back door, but one of the kids' coat gets stuck in the door for some reason. That's foreshadowing and stuff, you know. When they left, is like his mom's like. You better put your coat on. It'll save your life. You know, you get sick. <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah, it just have to be that coat. Got them stuck in the door jam. Right. Yeah, well, they needed to build some more tension, too, because as Meg is trying to get him unstuck, the blob is trying to come through the door, and it's seeping under the door, and it's pushing against this steel door hard enough to, to pop the bolts free on the hinges. She eventually tears his coat free just before the blob bursts through the door and they escape into the sewer as the blob chases them down the alley. As Meg is climbing down the ladder into the sewer, blob tentacles are grabbing at her hair, but she manages to jump down the rest of the way and get away from it. There are no Ninja Turtles in this sewer. I'm just going to spoil that part right now. Damn. <laughs> Meanwhile, Brian has retrieved his non-working motorcycle, or maybe it's working now. He was trying to fix it at some point. He is ducking the biological containment team who are talking about how they've cut all the phone lines and locked down the entire town. So he decides to follow them to the meteorite. 
they're managed they're lifting it up out of the ground with a crane and it turns out it's actually a satellite that carried an experimental bacteria into space which has mutated into a killer virus I don't think that's the way bacteria or viruses work, but it's what they said in the movie, and we're going to go with it. (laughs) Because movie. (laughs) Yes. It turns out this was all a biological warfare experiment to get the U.S. an edge over Russia. Unfortunately, if they can't contain it, by next week, it will have eaten the entire United States. Damn. I I mean, it's growing fast. Yeah. It was a blob on the end of a hobo's hand like 20 minutes ago, and it just ate an entire movie theater. So it's growing really fast. Well, they get a report that a local spotted the blob chasing Kevin, Eddie, and Meg into the sewers. Brian overhears this, and they are planning to lock down the sewers to contain the blob in it. When asked about the civilians, Dr. Meadows says, they're expendable. He says it with such <laughs> contempt, too. Brian hears that, too. And then he gets caught by a member of the containment team who just sneaks up behind him. He manages to get away, though, because he's got that ratchet that he borrowed, the magic ratchet. And he smacks the guy in the head with a ratchet. And Dr. Meadows calls everybody to stop Brian, saying that he's infected. So Brian jumps on his motorcycle and the soldiers give chase. He does manage to jump over the broken bridge this time, losing his pursuers. And eventually he loses the helicopter too. Then he rides to a massive sewer drain pipe. He's got to go rescue Meg. They they actually got uh, a stunt guy to jump that bridge. And like they did it all on the camera, like the truck the bike and the helicopter but yeah. uh, as soon as he stumped and jumped the bridge the bike fell apart so it, like <laughs> that's why the, the camera doesn't move it's because if they if it followed that jump across the bridge like just a couple feet down like it, he, you see him falling over but that that truck flipping over into the thing and like the bike going over and then there's a helicopter too in the shot it's not a yep. model it's like an actual helicopter so like that nice. shot was just amazing, yeah. That's where all their budget went, right there. Oh, yeah. Just that one scene. <laughs> it, was, it was amazing. Well, back in town, Dr. Meadows has arrived, and they are examining schematics of the sewer, and they develop a plan to just close three valves, and they'll be able to trap the blob in the sewer. Meg, Kevin, and Eddie, in the meantime, are trying to get out of the sewer as soldiers enter to close the valves. They are wading through waist-deep water, and rats are kind of disappearing around them because apparently the blob is eating the rats. Well, they decide to make a run for it, and they're being chased by the blob. You can see the blob coming through them under the water. It's you know making like the jaws waves coming towards them. They make a run for it, chased by the blob. The blob gets Eddie. Kevin manages to get through a sewer grate, and Meg goes back to rescue Eddie, but she comes up empty. As soon as she does, Kevin comes up covered by the blob and melting, or Eddie comes up covered covered by the blob and melting. Eddie's gone. Eddie's dead. Yeah. 
So Meg decides to follow Kevin through the sewer grate, but she can't fit through the sewer grate. And the blob is coming up out of the water behind her. About that time, soldiers appear and start shooting at the blob, which distracts it from Meg, gives her a chance to escape. Since she can't get through the sewer grate, she sends Kevin to go to the town hall, and she's going to escape through a different route. Brian manages to find her and helps her to safety, and they ride through the sewers on his motorcycle. As they're going through the sewers, the the, the tunnel is blocked by the blob, so he just... Uh, he decides to Cirque de Soleil this thing and just rides his motorcycle up the tunnel wall and past the blob and then wipes out going around a corner. He can, he can ride up the side of a tunnel wall, but he can't go around the corner without wiping out. They get up, but the motorcycle won't start, so they take off on foot. They find one of the soldiers who, uh, he, he's hurt pretty bad, and he says the blob killed the rest of his team. The blob is coming after them as they follow the soldier out of the sewer. And they're about to climb out of the sewer, but Dr. Meadows is standing up there looking in the manhole. And he orders the manhole sealed before they can get out. They just slide the cover over the manhole and park a truck on top of it. It's starting to look pretty hopeless when Meg and Brian notice the soldier has a rocket launcher in his pocket. I don't know how they missed that before. <laughs> <laughs> is that a rocket launcher in your pocket or are you just happy to see me it's a rocket launcher trust me yeah it's like yeah funny <laughs> funny you should say that because it actually is a rocket launcher <laughs> well brian uses the rocket launcher to blow open the manhole and they climb out brian grabs a rifle and points it at doc- dr meadows and a standoff ensues the the deputy pulls a gun and points it at Brian, but then all of the soldiers also point guns at Brian. So the deputy decides he's going to point his gun at the soldiers. Yeah, that's, that's how those standoff works, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this guy's a delinquent and I hate him, but he's our delinquent. Don't point guns at my delinquent. <laughs> yeah. If anybody's going to be pointing guns at my delinquent, it's going to be me. By God, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> well, Meadows tries to convince people that Brian is contagious. Meanwhile, Brian is revealing the entire truth to the deputy when Meadows orders a soldier to shoot Brian, but the soldier hesitates, so Meadows is going to do it himself. That's when the blob's tentacles shoot out of the manhole and drag Meadows down to his death. And the gun that he's holding just kind of folds in half as he goes down the manhole. That was a good effect. Yeah, that was that funny was as nice shit. Touch. Like it, he's like you know he's hanging down the the manhole, and then like all of a sudden you see the the blob come up through his suit to that little stupid suit they got. Yeah, and then yeah, it, it folds the yeah. It's just like a cartoon character getting yanked down that thing. There are a couple cartoon effects in here that actually work pretty well. There's another one coming up before too much longer. Well, the colonel and a few other soldiers open fire into the manhole, and then they drop explosives into the manhole. It looks like they got it, but then everything gets quiet, and then all of the metal on the street starts vibrating. I, I, I think they made it mad, Jesse. <laughs> yeah, they pissed it off. Totally. <laughs> well, the blob bursts through the pavement and flattens the colonel. <laughs> and it just it just slap and then you see it peel up and he's like 
a cartoon character run over by a steamroller stuck to the bottom of the blob. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> this is like uh, the prime example of it, like the right music and stuff. It has, you know, music is important because like if right. you could put like no music or like some kind of like, I don't know, happy little tune. This would came off like a comedy and shit. But uh, yeah, yeah now the, the the score and stuff and this makes it kind of dark, you know. Right. Reverend Meeker is out in the street now, convinced that this is the fulfillment of prophecy. A soldier comes past him with a flamethrower, and he's going to shoot the flamethrower at the blob. But the blob tentacle plugs up the end of his flamethrower, Bugs Bunny style, causing it to explode. <laughs> it engulfs the soldier in flames and it catches Reverend Meeker on fire too. Uh, Meg shoots the blob with a CO2 fire extinguisher and the cold actually keeps the blob at bay. So everybody runs for the courthouse while Meg holds off the blob with the fire extinguisher. Outside, the blob is covering most of the front of the courthouse. They manage to gather up Reverend Meeker in the process and and drag him into the courthouse, too. So they're inside the courthouse, and they're barricading the door, and Meg is shooting it with this fire extinguisher as it tries to seep under the door. Now that they know that cold is the key to fighting this thing, Brian heads to the garage and takes the snowmaker truck that Moss was working on at the beginning of the movie. As Brian crashes through barricades on his way to the courthouse, Reverend Meeker He's burnt pretty badly, like the whole side of his face is burnt up, but he's alive and he's praying for all he's worth at this point. The deputy is overseeing the barricades to keep the blob out of the courthouse when the blob grabs him and folds him up backwards while dragging him through a bookcase. <laughs> I mean, the back of his heels hit the back of his head as he goes through that bookshelf. Yeah, he gets folded like a chair and just ripped through. <laughs> Brian arrives and starts shooting snow at the blob, and it's actually working. He's driving the truck toward the blob. The blob rushes forward toward the truck and flips the snowmaker truck upside down. Meg runs out of the courthouse to the truck to try to save Brian because Brian is trapped by his seatbelt hanging upside down in this truck. She runs up to a soldier who's laying in the street Apparently, uh, she assumes he's dead, but then she rolls over and sees he's got a melted face, too, and he's still alive. She takes a bag from him and his rifle, and then she distracts the blob from Brian by shooting at it. The bag apparently had some kind of explosive in it, and she puts the explosives on the snowmaker truck between two tanks of refrigerant and arms the bomb. And as she's leaving, of course, she trips and gets stuck hanging upside down off the truck where she just set an explosive. <laughs> it's okay, though, because Brian managed to get himself free while she was setting the explosive, and he runs over and helps Meg get unstuck. They run for the safety of the courthouse as the blob completely engulfs the snowmaker truck. That's when the bomb goes off exploding the refrigerant tanks and freezing the blob. And then it's snowing downtown. How sweet. <laughs> <laughs> what a hell of a Christmas movie. I know. And as the snow falls, Meg's dad runs out to her and the blob. 
is now just sparkling chunks of pink ice piled next to the exploded snowmaker truck. Meg finds Brian and gives him a big hug, and the townspeople start to file out of the courthouse. Moss, the mechanic who is working on the truck, tells Brian, I told you we'd have snow. (laughs) And then he supervises getting some dump trucks in there to collect the frozen blob and taking it to the ice house to be stored there. Next thing we see, it is summertime, and Reverend Meeker is holding a tent revival in a rural field. He's lost an eye, and half of his face is scarred from the burns, and he is preaching hellfire and damnation to these farmer folks. He finishes his sermon, and woman starts singing a hymn as he heads backstage to get himself a drink. Apparently, not only is he a hellfire and brimstone preacher he's also a bit of an alcoholic and as he's getting his drink a woman enters and asks him when 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 is the day of reckoning coming reverend when's it gonna be he tells her oh it'll be soon and he holds up the candy jar that he had and he's got a living piece of the blob trapped in that jar trying to get out he says the Lord will give me a sign and roll credit. This was Damn. a fun movie to watch. It's pretty good. It's like a nice summer flick. They yeah. uh they have a festival like where they at the in the town that they filmed it in that, that shows that movie and like a lot of people from all over the world go and and then they uh they at the end or whatever they have the thing where everybody runs out and starts screaming like in the movie. <laughs> That would be awesome. Yeah. I would love to do that. Yeah. All right, man. I think that's a podcast. Hell yeah. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. We had a lot of fun making it. Be sure to subscribe and leave a rating wherever you hear us. You can follow CDF Pod on Facebook and Instagram or at CDF underscore pod on Twitter. You can also visit our website at CDFPod.com. And don't forget you can help us make donations to film schools all across the country by going to Patreon.com slash CDFPod. Join us next time as we explore another movie so awesome it probably shouldn't have been made. Oh,